Welcome to Samovar, a weekly visit with Aaron Lansky at the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Emma Morgenstern. I'm sitting with Aaron, the center's founder and president, and today we'll talk about book digitization, something the organization has been dedicated to practically since the technology was born. Aaron wrote a piece in, last, in this year's fall issue of Packentrager, the center's magazine, entitled Roadmap. The article lays the groundwork for new directions that the center is taking over the next several years. One of these new initiatives is the Universal Yiddish Library. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Emma. So Aaron, can you tell me what the Universal Yiddish Library refers to? Y- yeah, this has been a dream of ours for a long time now. And really goes back, you know, got 30 years when we first started collecting books. You know, we always made it very clear that the whole goal here was just not only to collect books, but to put them in the hands of new readers. And the only thing that changed was the technology. You know, at the beginning, we used to send books off to anybody who wanted them, duplicate copies of books. We placed books out in like 700 libraries around the world. And then eventually we digitized the books as a way of having way more copies available. But the dream always was to you know, make them all the books available to everybody. And that became a reality, or at least a possibility, three years ago when it became possible to put books online and then people could you know, download them at any computer anywhere in the world in kind of infinite numbers. And the only problem is we don't have all the Yiddish books here. You know, we have a lot of books, as you know. You walk in downstairs into that repository, there are books everywhere. You can't believe there could be more books than, than what we have. But in fact, our collection represents maybe about 16,000 discrete titles. And although nobody knows completely for sure, there are probably about 40,000 titles in all of Yiddish literature. Most of those aren't books as we would regard them. You know, in other words, there are probably 25,000 you know, actual full-length books, and the rest are uh, pamphlets and brochures and, and, and smaller things. But nonetheless, there are an awful lot of titles that we don't have, and at this late stage, really unlikely that we're going to find them. So the dream is, wow, can you imagine if there were a truly universal Yiddish library, meaning not just we, but other libraries around the world all pitch in together, the books all go online, and then anyone anywhere in the world has access to every Yiddish book. It would be the first time in human history that an entire literature is available like that. So it's, it's a very, uh, you know, a big dream and a thing much to be desired, and I think we're getting close to making it a reality. Mm-hmm. And how will it be a reality? Well, the first is to bring other libraries into the picture. I mean, because if we don't have everything here, we've got to get other libraries to work with us. So I've got to tell you, this hasn't been easy. Like for five years now, we've been trying to, you know, nudge other libraries and get them to cooperate with us. And you can't believe the reaction. I remember like one very major uh, collection that I spoke with years ago said to us, you know, if we put our books online, no one will ever come to the library again. Well, first of all, the evidence is exactly the opposite. You know, I mean, the more books go online, the greater the demand for the actual books at the library itself. Remember Bernie Margolis, who was the head of the Boston Public Library and a pioneer of library digitization, told me once they had put up, had scanned and, and digitized and posted a book that was published in the late 18th century. So the book hadn't been circulated in 200 years. No one had checked out this book. And all of a sudden, he had this long, long waiting list after it went online. So. I think people kind of got the idea that that's not necessarily, you know, uh, going to be a problem. But there were also other objections that it's just it's expensive for a library to do it, and a, li- a lot of libraries just weren't concerned kind of with this much broader constituency beyond their own walls. But we finally, I think, have had a huge breakthrough on this front. Um, Susan Bronson, our executive director, and I were just in New York, and we met with the director of the National Library of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually has a terrifically good collection. 
and they've now developed a, a very ambitious program to digitize a lot of their holdings. I think 100,000 books a year they're hoping eventually to start scanning. Wow. Yeah. And so they've agreed they're going to start putting Yiddish books into the queue. And so actually, even as we speak, uh, our bibliographer Catherine Madsen is downstairs preparing computer files of everything we've scanned so far, the 4,000 books we're in the process of scanning, we're sending all that off to Israel. They'll then run that against the listings of their own holdings, come up with a list of all the books that haven't been scanned yet, and then start feeding them into their process there. And then the beauty of the whole thing is, everything goes into the same online library. You know? so, there's no kind of proprietary interest in all of this. It's not like the Yiddish Book Center's online library. It's a truly universal holding. And so for the end user, you know, the book will tell you whether it came from our collection or theirs or any other libraries. But that's sort of irrelevant. I mean, the main point is the book's going to be there. And uh, they'll be accessible through our website, through the Internet Archive, and through the National Library's website. So all this will be there all at once, and it's going to be a, a revolution in Jewish scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, so, going back for a second, you mentioned yeah. that we are scanning books now, so do you want to just give a little oh, overview yeah, that's, of... Yeah, that, that's great. That, yeah. That's like the coolest thing we're doing right now. So, you know, way, way, way back when we first started scanning books, like in 1997, we were so ahead of the curve then that just nobody had done this before. And I remember we went off to Yale University where they were scanning microforms, and um, book scanning was so in its infancy back then that you literally had to cut the book apart in order to scan it. You had to cut the spine, or like guillotine the spine off of the book and feed the pages through one page at a time. You say it was the General Westmoreland mode of, you know who General Westmoreland was? No. He, oh, he was the head of US troops in Vietnam and he made a very fam famous statement once in which he said, oh, we had to destroy the village in order to save it. Right, right. And it's the same thing with us. You know, we had to destroy the book in order to save it and make it accessible, but the book was gone after that. Yeah, actually, when I, when I tell visitors that we had to do that at a past <laughs> venture, um, they, are, they always are looking sort of horrified when I tell them that. Yes, you know, I, I, say, know, I know. We had to do it. It was sort of to to get the process going, and now we don't have to do it. Yeah, thank, thank God, because I've seen that look many <laughs> yeah. times. I really don't want to have to deal with explaining that anymore. So no, right. it's no longer necessary. <laughs> uh, actually, the Internet Archive has invented new technology that instead of using a zerographic process, you now use cameras focused on each page, and it takes two pictures at once. And because a camera has a long depth of field, which means you can keep a lot in focus at the same time, you don't have to worry about the curvature of the page, you know, when a book is open inside the book. So it can be done very easily now. So that, that's way in the past, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's no longer a problem at all in order yeah, to, to do But I forgot your question. So what, what were we talking about? Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? I think I was just asking you about the, the book digitization that's happening now here. Right, so okay. That's so, so this is the new way of doing it with these kind of cameras and these full-frame digital cameras, fo cameras focused on either side of the page. And you know, unlike years ago where we had a factory outside of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, working three shifts a day scanning our books for us with people who couldn't word of, you know, read a word of Yiddish, we've realized that the whole process is a whole lot easier if we have people doing the scanning who actually know the language. So um, I spoke about this problem last year. I had a dinner with Brewster Kale, who's kind of the brilliant, genius, visionary founder of the Internet Archive, and was explaining this to him. And he very graciously, perhaps it was the three glasses of wine we'd had before this, but nonetheless, he very graciously said, 
he would set up a scanning station here at the book center. And this is like a $120,000 machine and it's really complex. And he agreed to do this completely free of charge with only one provision that we could keep it running eight hours a day. So I made the commitment on the spot and we, I wrote a letter to our members. People were really generous. We raised enough money and we're now running this downstairs. And so it kind of looks like an oversized voting booth with, with black <laughs> curtains around it. An operator sits there and literally turns a page pushes a foot pedal, pedal, a glass platen comes down to keep the pages flattened, and then the cameras take their pictures, and then the computers kind of put all this in order so all the pages get into the right place. When they're done, uh, it's then uploaded to the Internet Archive, and 12 hours later it's live, and anyone in the world has access to the book. So it's, it's a very exciting process, and we're not great at it yet. We're still, it's still a little bit slow going, but we'll get much better as, as we go along. I bet you within a few months, you know, we're going to be just zooming through this stuff, and we're hoping to have, well, you've probably been downstairs, you know, in the, in the book vault downstairs. Right. There, that's that whole wall of books down there in mylar sleeves. Those are all books waiting to be scanned, a lot of them exceedingly valuable that were too brittle to scan the old-fashioned way. And now we can do it without damaging the book at all. So all those books hopefully will be up, I'd say, within, you know, within two years, that project should be complete. But that's not like the end of the job, because then we've got 1,500 crates of Yiddish serials and periodicals. And, uh, and for that, too, we're going to have to work with other libraries to fill the lacunae, the gaps within those holdings also. So there's still a lot of work left. I bet you it's 10 years before this whole thing is done. But, uh, even so, Yiddish really will become the first completely accessible you know, online literature. And that's like, I don't know, when you think where these books came from, literally we pulled them out of garbage dumpsters and basements and attics, and you think now it's going to be you know, eternally accessible to absolutely everyone, completely free of charge, the first accessible literature on the planet. There really is a wonderful vindication in all of that. Yeah, yeah. I guess the Trivial Pursuit question was a little premature because it said that Yiddish was the first fully digitized literature. Yeah, well, it should have been the first mostly digitized yeah. <laughs> literature. We're way ahead of any other literature, at right. least proportionally right now. But, but, uh, but no, it's not complete. You know, there, as I say, there, although I, I ought to add that the books we have scanned, I think it's important to emphasize this, are the most important books. And how do, how do I know that? Uh, only by kind of by definition in terms of how we collected them. You know, the books that we have here at the Book Center are the books that people were actually reading. You know, after all, we got these out of people's houses and out of their personal libraries. So all the most popular books are the books that we have in greatest quantity. So if we don't have a book here, it meant that out of the, I don't know, 10, 15, 20,000 people who have donated books to the center over the years, not one of them you know, had read a particular book that we don't have. So it tends to be more obscure material, largely you know, of interest to scholars, but nonetheless important, and, and it really does need to be added in as well. Yeah, and I'd imagine that there's a lot of there are a lot of international books that might be missing also because most of the collection happened in the U.S. I don't know, maybe that... Well, most of the books were collected in the States, but not all of them, of course. You know, mm -hmm. we've collected books really all over the world. But uh, about two-thirds of all Yiddish books were published in the States. We have loads of other imprints. I mean, we have, you know, Vilner and Warsaw and Kharkov, you know, I mean, all the kind of great centers of Eastern Europe, we have the books published and, you know, many of the books published in those places. We also have books from much farther afield, like Shanghai, you know, there were Jews in China during the war. So we have Shanghai imprints and Havana imprints and Montevideo imprints and, and, and uh, Australian imprints, South African. You know, Yiddish books were published pretty much everywhere where, where Jews, you know, went. So um, I, I would say that 
No, we've got a we've got a pretty good, you know, sample, you know, a pretty good range yeah. of books here. But books really, you know, there there are still plenty of books that we don't have, and we're we're aware of that. You know? Right. So, one might think that once we collect all of these books and scan them and put them online, that that's sort of it. But there's a whole other side to the scanning project, to the Universal Yiddish Library, which is the metadata. Oh, so, yeah, metadata. So, so first I've got to explain, because not everybody knows these words. You know, we get kind of used to using these library terms here at the Book Center now, but the truth is uh, metadata just means you know, extra data that's uh, added to a record. So in other words, you've got the book, which is a picture of every page of the book. Then appended to that is a whole other series of files, which is sort of the electronic equivalent of an old library card in a card catalog. Uh, you know, the catalog card had all the stuff about, all the information about the book. That's what metadata is. And in our case, we follow very exacting library rules so that librarians can then have access to this. That metadata goes up into something called WorldCat, which is an international library database, and libraries have access to all of it. But here, too, there's been a kind of gigantic breakthrough in the last, uh, what time is it? You know, the, la the, last, <laughs> the last week has been a really big breakthrough. Uh, up until now, as anybody who's ever used our online library knows, all the metadata's been done in romanization, meaning, you know, Yiddish words rendered into Roman or what some people would call English letters. And uh, it's not as haphazard as it might sound. Like, you know, people always laugh about the 15 different spellings of Hanukkah. In fact, in Yiddish, Every, let, every word has an exact spelling that follows a very orderly uh, you know, system that was English, Roman spelling that was worked out. Um, but it, it, uh, it's complicated, particularly for authors' names. So without belaboring you with the detail, the spelling of an author's name in Roman letters follows the alphabet of the language with the Roman alphabet of the country. Uh, uh, in, in the Roman alphabet, this is too complicated, wait a minute. <laughs> if, it follows the spelling that was used in the country in which the author spent the largest part of his or her life. So Shalom Ash is A-S-C-H, is the official Library of Congress authority spelling for Shalom Ash. In Yiddish, of course, it's Aleph Shin. It's really simple. But, you know, if you live in Poland, you would naturally assume that Ash was spelled A-C-Z, and someone else might assume it was A-S-H. And, you know, so there are all kind of variations. And the problem is, if you live Anywhere outside of the United States, you can't make hide nor tail of the whole thing because it just doesn't fit. You know, letters have different values in different languages. So, uh, you ready for the big breakthrough? Is deeply embedded in our cataloging records that no one's been able to see up until now were actually the Hebrew character uh, entries for the book. So, in other words, we've, in addition to the Romanized letters, we've always had the letter typed out, you know, the Yiddish author and the Yiddish title in Hebrew letters. And uh, what we've done now is to work with the Internet Archive. We have a, a great um, fellow working with us this year named Josh Price. And Josh has figured out how to make all this happen. It's being reprogrammed by the Internet Archive as we speak. It will then come up and there'll be a new search field. So when you go onto our website, like, I don't know, three, four weeks from now, uh, you'll have a choice. You can either search for a book in a Romanized spelling, or you can search for the book in the original Yiddish or Hebrew alphabet. If you choose the Hebrew alphabet, all you have to, there'll be a little drop-down keyboard appears on your screen, and you just you know use your mouse and you can type the letters that you're looking for, and then it will search it in the original. And there's no problem with romanization and variant spellings, and all of that is obviated. All of that goes away, and you'll definitely be able to find the book you're looking for. So scholars everywhere will thank us because they've been pretty frustrated for the last few years with this.
this. Right. I've been pretty frustrated trying yeah, to find stuff. Yeah, me too. The other day I was trying to find something and I, I, oh my God, I couldn't find the damn book. Where did it go? Where is this? You know, and I, I couldn't find it either. And I've been working with these names for 30 years. So you'd think I would have been able to figure it out. So no, it's not the least bit obvious. And this will solve the problem for all of us. In fact, for $25, you can go onto Amazon and buy yourself a USB keyboard for your computer that has both Hebrew and English letters on it. And then all you have to do is literally type on that keyboard and it's even easier still. So you know, just literally plug it in instead of the keyboard that came with your computer. So for $25, you can solve the problem permanently. And then on the operating system of either Mac or, or uh, Windows, you just download Hebrew alphabet. Oh, we also did one other maybe precipitous thing, but we, uh, We've been very vexed by what's called the uh, diacriticals. Diacriticals means the, well, in Yiddish you call them the pintalach, you know, the, the, in Hebrew, the nikudot, the, the little tiny, um, you know, the little T and the little comets in the, in the pasach, the little line and the strichel. Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. these little extraneous marks that, that, that you know, determine uh, vowel values in, in Yiddish and Hebrew words. And uh, they sort of have been driving the computers crazy because it's just too complicated to program all that. So we've decided to what they call flatten all the records, which means to remove the diacriticals. So your pronunciation might not be perfect, but it'll be a whole lot easier to find it. And we can then use existing Hebrew software without inventing the wheel all over again. And when I spoke with one of our other brilliant fellows here, with, with uh, Jordan Kutzik, and said, do you think it's possible to do this, to flatten the laces? I'm absolutely certain it's possible. And I said, why are you so certain? And he said, well, actually, a friend and his have been tweeting each other, you know, using Twitter and communicating by Twitter for a number of years now in Yiddish, using Yiddish letters that they programmed in. And he said, and when we do it, we realize that the diacriticals were counting as characters uh, and detracting from the 140 character count. So they had reprogrammed Twitter to eliminate the diacriticals, and he therefore was certain it could be done in the main cataloging records as well. <laughs> Yeah, another example of technology. <laughs> yes, they call this a Heintekevelt. This is a new world, right? Uh, that's really funny. So I got to say one other thing, though, which I just can't like end without talking about, and that's yeah, just yeah. the demand for the books. Sure. So I can remember like 32 years ago when I was, you know, inordinately young and was, uh, you know, walking around New York City in a borrowed suit and going to all these big organizations and saying, you know, I wanted help to save the world's Yiddish books, and these people would sit behind these desks, you know, the executives of these organizations and these desks were the size of aircraft carriers, you know, and I'd sit on the other side of it. It was definitely a different day and age, you know. And I, you know, here I am all kind of young and bubbling over with enthusiasm and I wanted to get out and I think I was looking for maybe like $10,000 budget for the first year. You know, our budget now is three and a half million dollars. So it was a slightly different scale altogether. Nobody would give me a cent. And I can remember office after office and they all had the same complaint you know even if you can do this which we don't believe you can do you know even if you can manage to rescue these books you know who in the world is ever going to read them well that's maybe the best vindication of all so because the reading the numbers of downloads of these books are off the chart uh, there are two ways of reading a book when you go online to access a Yiddish book you can read it right online there's actually an animated reader it turns the page for you and everything it's very cool looking we don't know how many people are using that, but certainly you know, a lot. But if you really love the book, you can download it into your own computer, and then now you own the book, and it's on your computer, and you can print it out or you know, bring it down to the coffee shop or do whatever you want with it. Uh, we've had now in, uh, the books went live in March of 2009. So in less than three, 2009, 10, 
Yes, that's right. In less than three years, we've had over a quarter of a million downloads. Emma, it blew me away. You know, if you had told me we'd have 25,000 downloads, I would have been really impressed. 2,500, I wouldn't have complained. But 250,000 downloads, it, it's mind-boggling. So the question, of course, is so who's, who's downloading all these books? Well, there's no question that a great many of the downloads are young people. You know, the joke now is you want to hire staff members who know Yiddish, you have to hire people under 30 years of age. And I mean, that's just the reality of what's happening out there. You know, people are using Yiddish sources for all kinds of historical and literary and sociological research. You know, it's, it's, this isn't weird, it's just that Yiddish, it's, what's weird is that these sources weren't used until now. But come on, three quarters of the world's Jews spoke Yiddish for the past thousand years. Clearly the language, you know, has significance and the sources have significance. And I think young people understand that in a very real way. But all that being said, it's still too many downloads. I mean, a lot of young people are learning Yiddish, but not that many young people are learning Yiddish. So where is this coming from? So for two years now, I have a good friend named Barry Holtz, who's the dean at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And Barry's been saying to me, I think Hasidim are reading the books. I never believed it. You know, uh, this is, of course, one of the ironies of Jewish life is that the Hasidic and ultra-Orthodox communities are the only Jews who, in large numbers, still speak Yiddish. But uh, for them, you know, uh, Yiddish literature is, they call it, you know, it's treif puzzle, it's, it's, it's forbidden. You know, you're not supposed to read these books because they're secular books. You know, they deal with the question of how do you live as Jews in a modern world? And that is a question not very high up on the Hasidic, you know, hit parade. So this is why it's been sort of ignored for a long, a long time. But uh, Barry, I'm telling you, I think it's the Hasidim. So we started making inquiries. Last summer, we brought our our interns, our Steiner interns, down to a borough park, you know, to a Hasidic neighborhood. We walked around for a day, and you know, the young people got to ask the Hasidim, you know, speak with people in Yiddish, and I think they were as curious about us as we were about them, the Hasidim, that is to say. Um, but somewhere, you know, as we were going through, I would ask a lot of them, do you have a computer at home? And almost everyone gave the same answer. Yeah, we now have a computer. We got it two years ago. We got it a year ago. So I think this is sort of a new development in Hasidic life that computers are finally, you know, which I think some might have had surreptitiously are now becoming more commonplace, which means the internet opens up to them. And the first thing they're running to seems to be, uh, you know, to read secular Yiddish literature written in their own primary, their own mamalush, in their own first language, to which they've never had access before. And even though they're not supposed to be reading these books, and even though it's modern and it's secular, um, I think they're quite intensely interested in it. And I think that's explaining a lot of it. So that was our kind of operative theory. We still didn't know this for sure until two weeks ago when we held a translation conference here at the center. And Zachary Baker, who's the head Judaica bibliographer at Stanford and probably knows more about Jewish books than any person alive, uh, Zachary got up and gave a presentation. And he actually did this extraordinary kind of forensic bibliographic research into our Internet Archive site. And what he found was, he said, take a look at the top 100 downloads from the Yiddish Book Center sites, the books most frequently you know, downloaded, it means 1,000, 2,000 downloads of a book. Well, the first was a dictionary, which makes sense. And from there, the next like 30 top titles are all religious books translated into Yiddish, you know, Mikra in Yiddish and things like that. Uh, I don't think these are young people who are reading this stuff. You know, <laughs> I think these are clearly Hasidim who are finding access to these things in an easy way in, in a language with which they're familiar, just like Jews once used Aramaic to understand it. You know, we now use, you know, Yiddish to understand it. So I think in short, the theory holds true. And I think some of our readers are Hasidim and loads of our readers are young people and we welcome all of them. It's a great literature. It deserves to be read. You know, 
Maybe in our next talk, we'll talk about translation and how we're opening this up for English readers as well. But in the meantime, we're starting with the original. And so, you know, if we have a universal Yiddish library, I guarantee you we'll have readers to, uh, you know, to read all these books and enjoy them. All right. Well, thank you so much. I think we're out of time. You can read Aaron's article, Roadmap, online at YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Emma Morgenstern. Thanks for listening to Samovar, a weekly visit with Aaron Lansky. Our original theme music was written and performed by Hankus Netsky. This has been a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh-huh.